Hey everyone, it's the Monty Man, and you are about to take part in the experience, the strength, and the hope of this episode of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. Three, two, one, zero. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Come here for a minute. I want to talk to you. Against the wall, can't find peace of mind. Brain needs an overhaul. Bonehead brain. The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show are those of the co-host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of our affiliates. The topics and opinions on today's show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice. Take 12 Radio is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, The Man, The Myth, The Legend, The Monty Man. Well, greetings one and all, and welcome to the Tank 12 Recovery Radio Show. How the heck are y'all doing? It has been really a very interesting, if not stressful, uh, couple of weeks for everyone, right? I mean, most of you are quarantined to your homes. Uh, If you're going out, you're not going out much. Uh, And uh, some folks are really in a panic state. Some people are at total peace. But wherever you're at in this whole uh, COVID-19 thing, one thing that you can practice and learn how to practice is emotional sobriety. Uh, The co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, Mr. Bill Wilson, uh, he called that emotional sobriety the next frontier. And what we've been doing is we've been bringing you uh, a series on emotional sobriety called Step by Step towards emotional sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger. Now, Dr. Berger is a dear friend of Take 12 Recovery Radio. Um, He has served with us for a number of years, helped us, and uh, really partnered with us on several occasions. And one such occasion was this series we did on emotional sobriety. Now, we're picking it up now uh, with uh, part three of unpacking Bill Wilson's letter on emotional sobriety. Now, Just uh, a note and point, this broadcast, this series of broadcasts that we did on emotional sobriety was the first ever uh, broadcast on this topic ever produced. And this was back in 2015 uh, that was ever produced on public radio or our podcasting. And just we just want to thank Dr. Berger for giving us the privilege to be able to host that broadcast. So this is a real treat for us to bring this back for you. So uh, we picked this up. Um, Dr. Berger says a couple things. And then I asked the question, why is it taking fellowships like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous uh, so long to realize that there's much more to recovery than just not drinking or just not using. So let's join Dr. Berger and myself with part three of Unpacking Bill Wilson's Letter. Money and I were just talking a few minutes ago, and we uh, we believe that this is the first show that's been dedicated to this topic, Money. And yeah. I, I really appreciate you guys at Take 12 Radio for being pioneers with me in this. And I'm excited that we're able to to do this service for those uh, for the family. And this is the first show on, on, on any broadcast, not, that's not right, just your any broadcast yeah. That, yeah. that's dedicated to the topic of emotional sobriety. And uh, please, like Monty said, those podcasts from last week and the week before that are archived. We encourage you to listen to it. If you're just tuning in tonight, 
then please go ahead and listen to it, because what we've been doing is we're unpacking this letter that Bill Wilson wrote that was published in the 1958 Grapevine, because this was the first evidence that I could find on this topic of emotional sobriety. Bill was the first one to talk about it. Now, I'm sure he talked about it in meetings, but he wrote about it in a letter in 1956, and this letter was published. Well, what Monty and I are doing is we're unpacking this letter. What is first show, Monty, we uh, kind of took three sound bites from that letter, mm-hmm. and this last show, four, and we're going to try to do four tonight, and we're just very excited about, uh, about the information Bill is sharing with us and also about um, how to understand this from my side. I'm looking at more from the psychological side, and Monty's coming in and talking about it more from the spiritual side. So we're really excited about what, what's happening. Why, why has it taken this long for us uh, who are involved in this process, the Fellowship of, uh, of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, many Narcotics Anonymous, some Celebrate Recovery, you know, whoever's using the 12 steps by permission of what I call the mothership AA, why has it taken so long to, to say, you know what, just not drinking just not using isn't enough. It seems like we're starting to realize uh, how important that is, but why so long? Well, that's a, that's a great question, and I think if Bill Wilson was alive today and Dr. Bob, they'd be asking the same thing. And I think the best answer to that, Monty, is that it takes a while to grow up, and our fellowship's been growing up. You know, today we are a lot more mature than we were when the program started back in the mid-1930s. And I think that we're ready. Our consciousness is now ready to start looking at ourselves with this degree of honesty. Because quite frankly, in order to achieve emotional sobriety, you have to look at some things in yourself that are not easy to look at. You have to look at your emotional dependency. And it takes, it's, it, it really takes a lot of courage to do that, Mind What I say to people is that if, if you start to do this work, it's going to be the best of you that's looking at the worst in you. And I'll say that again. It's going to be the best in you that is able to see the worst in you. Mm. And so that's what we're calling forth. That's what we're asking people to do. That's what we're inviting people to do. And it's not easy. I mean, look, we're, we're all paid phobic. Nobody wants to hurt. Nobody <laughs> wants to see yeah. some of these things. And, and you've got to have a tremendous commitment to your growth in order to do this. You know, it's interesting because uh, uh, our, our church is getting – we have a small congregation, and the floor – They've ripped up the carpet. I mean, it's it's just time. I mean, we've got so many people, uh, so many people in the program that that go there, and so there's coffee stains everywhere, of course, and it is just a mess. So they've ripped up this carpet, and it's really ugly underneath that thing, right? I mean, and everything is just dispersed. They're playing leapfrog with the different rooms in the in the building to utilize them and and, and all. And uh, Pastor Mitch Bourgeois, who does our Sunday show, he, he was making the mess, mention, you know, it can be really ugly, you know, uh, before the change, before yeah. before the new right. thing. Yeah. It can be really ugly, but gollies, yeah, how wonderful. Yeah, what a wonderful. great analogy, yeah. right? Yeah. What a great analogy, because that's the same thing. I, I mean, to... to to go through a change, you have to go through a period of deconstruction. Yep. I mean, that's what the pastor was saying, is that a period of deconstruction is necessary. Deconstruction is not easy. It's Mm-mm. not easy for us to look at our basic flaws. It's not easy for us to see our character defects. It's incredibly important. As we know, it's what? Steps six and seven, right? Yeah. Steps four and five and six and seven are all about. It's helping us get to know ourselves and see these things that we really need to start changing. Um, and so it's, it's not easy, though, and yeah. I, I can empathize with that. There's been times when, you know, it was hard for me to look at certain things about myself. But I can say this. I can say that if you do, 
you are willing, if you do the work that we're going to be suggesting you do, that you will come through that work with a whole different level of peace of mind and serenity. Because when we face these things and we really start to come to grips with them, we end up being in a more harmonious relationship with ourselves, Monty. And our fellows. And that's really where peace of mind comes from, and with our fellows. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great. exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad we're doing this. I am. I really I am. am. I hope I've let you know how grateful I am for this opportunity, and... And let's just jump into this, huh? Okay. Now, now, uh, last week, uh, you asked the listeners to bookmark um, one of the sound bites that we had. And so, um, before we do the other, the, the four for this week, uh, we want to play this one and uh, let you a- expound on it. Do you want to talk about this before, or should we just go ahead and play it? Well, let's play it, and then we'll go ahead and recap where Bill is at at this point in the letter. And uh, we wanted to kind of let you hear what the last soundbite was that we covered last time. And we, I did book part of, part of it, so let's go and listen to it, and then we'll talk about it for a while. Okay, here's our first soundbite. This is from uh, the letter from Bill W. I kept asking myself, why can't the 12 steps work to release depression? By the hour, I stared at the St. Francis prayer. It's better to comfort than to be comforted. Here was the formula, all right, but why didn't it work? Okay, good question. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so what Bill was saying to us, and even before this little soundbite, he was talking about that he knew that if somehow he could apply the steps to his depression, that he would be able to get some relief. And he didn't understand what was missing, what was preventing the steps from having the therapeutic effect on him that he knew that they would have. And we know that Bill was, was uh, you know, really diligent about how he worked the steps. So here's the whole thing. It's about it's being better to comfort than to comfort. Well, what we've talked about so far is Bill realized that one of the problems he had is that he had an absolute dependence. He said an almost absolute dependence. I would call it an emotional dependence on people or circumstances for his prestige and security and the like. So what Bill was suffering from was that he was other-validated. If the situation or the circumstance turned out the way that favored him, he'd feel good about himself. If it didn't, he'd feel bad. If people responded to him in the way that he wanted them to and validated him, he'd feel good about himself. If they didn't, he'd feel bad. Now, what Bill's particular brand is we're going to see in terms of how he coped with this is he would really struggle to get people to do things his way. You know, Bill moved towards, or I should say he moved against people because he tried to control them to get them to do it his way. Well, he also started a fellowship that had only one authority. What is the authority in our fellowship, Monty? Loving God as he may express himself. Right. Yeah. Right, as he may express himself in our group what? Conscious. Conscious. Right? Yeah. So Bill couldn't control the show. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God. I mean, thank God he built <laughs> yeah. that in, right? <laughs> yeah. Thank God that we have that tradition because we're a bunch of egomaniacs. Yeah. And we would have all destroyed Alcoholics Anonymous a long, long time ago. <laughs> I mean, so what Bill did is he built in. He knew that he couldn't, he couldn't dominate and control this process. That it was bigger than him. And to his credit, he understood that there was a part of him that would ruin it, that would destroy it. So he disempowered himself, and he pow- and he gave the power. He empowered the group. Now. With this last statement, he said, it's better to comfort than to be comforted. See, he thought in his mind was that what I have to do in order to deal with this is to get out of myself and to give myself to others in the service of others, right? That was a formula that Bill found that was very successful in helping him deal with things. But there's another side to that formula, and this is why I ask you to bookmark this. It's because it's also important for us to learn how to comfort ourselves rather than be comforted. It, so it's yeah. not just about giving others comfort, 
It's also learning how to lick our own wounds, how to soothe ourselves, Monty, how to regulate our own emotions. Yeah. And so this this whole that's that's at the heart of this whole discussion of emotional society. So, Dr. Berger, so, so I, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about – I'm kind of picturing Bill sitting there thinking, okay, he's reading the St. Francis prayer. He's saying, aha, I mean, I, this, this is just me now. You know, I, 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 I don't know Bill personally. I, I, you know, I never met him personally. But I got a sneaking suspicion. Aha, in order to get what I want, I'll do this. Well, that's the other part of this. Isn't that interesting? See, yeah. You're picking up, you know, that's why I love doing the show with you, because you really highlight these other issues. That's lurking in the shadows, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of us would do that stuff in order to manipulate other people to get our validation. And it, see, this is, this is an important part of this whole thing, is what the listeners are going to start to understand is the most important reason to do something is because you want to or you don't. Not to get other people to respond a certain way. That's manipulative. Yes. That's not going to work. Even if it's That's a good not, deed. Yeah, even if it's a good deed and you're doing it and you're doing it to manipulate someone else, it's really not as good of a deed as it appears to be. Doesn't the doesn't the, the, doesn't the big book talk deed is one one you give open-handedly whether it's appreciated or not. Right. And doesn't the big book talk about something about that like like where and I'm going to paraphrase here about, you know, we can be kind of Kind of rude, but we can also be really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, why don't we pick up the next soundbite on okay. there, and uh, and let's uh, continue to unpack this gem that Bill left. All right. Here we go. Here's soundbite number two. There wasn't a chance of making the outgoing love of Saint Francis a workable and joyous way of life until these fatal and almost absolute dependencies were cut away. Mm because I had over the years undergone a little spiritual development, the absolute qualities of these frightful dependencies had never before been so starkly revealed. Wow. Wow, isn't that (laughs) So what are you saying here? And, And this is so important, you see. Unless we unhook our emotional dependency, then all of these things that are are really great principles to live by we'll never be able to experience their full benefit. We'll never be able to enjoy the promises fully unless we unhook this, what he called it, a fatal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. fatal dependency, because it really destroys our relationships. It destroys our spirit. It destroys us emotionally. So they are fatal, and they're really deadly. You know, you've heard people say in the program before, we don't have relationships, we take hostages. Right. How fatal these things become, right? I right. mean, that's the degree to it. So we've got to unhook these things, and what we need to do is learn how. How is it that we unhook our emotional dependency from others, and hopefully we'll get some insight into that from Bill as we go along. And, and you had mentioned before uh, a couple of times, and I really like this, it's important, that, um, you know, and I, and I always say, I, I, I am so bold to say there's no power in the steps. They show us a need for a power. They're the tool that shows us that need. But we, and you have said before, we can actually say, okay, now I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him um, and fall into trying to manipulate our creator as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wow. That's right. No, it's interesting because we can use any of these tools to try to be the the self that we are not. I, I don't know if I'm expressing that in a good way for our listeners to understand that, but, but you have to go back and understand the false self. See, the false self, the promise of the false self was that if we became that self, that we would be okay, that we would always be loved, we would always be accepted, and we would always belong. Right. That was this, what Karen Horney called it. It was the search for glory, right? Yep. We wanted everybody to love us, everybody to accept us, and we wanted to feel like we belonged. Now, what happens is, is that doesn't work in life, because any solution that's not based on who you really are is going to fail. 
Mm-hmm. So what happens is, even though that failed, if something new comes along in our life, like a new relationship with our higher power, or we get to 12 steps, there's always a danger of that force in you that was looking for a solution that was perfect, that would always make you feel good. Mm-hmm. That you'll take the steps or you'll take your relationship with God and you will try to use that to achieve this false self. Now, what I tell people when they come to see me, because they often say, well, you know, Dr. Berger, I want you to help me become happy. And I tell them, look, you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing you happy sometimes, but I have a better goal for you. And they go, better? What's better than happy? I said, I want to help you become alive. Mm. I want to help you feel and your experience in this life. I want to help you embrace your sadness when you feel your sadness. I want to help you feel your joy when you feel your joy. I want you to be alive. A whole person. Yes, that's right. And that's really what the steps are helping us do. They're not helping us turn into some happy all the time. You know, happy, happy, joy, joy, right? I'm wearing a T-shirt right now. I'm wearing a T-shirt right now with one of the guys from uh, from uh, uh, oh, Duck Dynasty. <laughs> and it says happy, happy, happy on it. So I'm a hypocrite yeah. today. <laughs> you know, and I'm all for happy, but I'm also for sad. Yeah. yeah. For people being alive. I'm for you being able to experience and be who you really are. Right on. That's what the steps, that's the ultimate goal, and I, I talk about this a lot, because I look at the steps from a psychological point of view. I really believe the steps are helping us recover our true self, mm. and really helping us learn how to live and honor that the rest of our life. And, and, and like I said, it goes hand in hand. Isn't that what our Creator wants for us too? Really? That's how, that's what, that's what the spiritual, that's what you would say from the spiritual side, yeah. wouldn't you? That's yeah, that. right, that's right, that is what... That is what I believe that that spirituality is always is is really about is helping you connect with that. Yeah, right on. Okay, here's our next soundbite. Reinforced by what grace I could secure in prayer, I found I had to exert every ounce of will and action to cut off these faulty emotional dependencies upon people, upon AA, indeed upon any act or circumstance whatsoever. Then could I be free to love as Francis did. Emotional and instinctual satisfactions, I saw, were really the extra dividends of having love, offering love, and expressing love appropriate to each relation of life. Wow, there he does it. There he says it. Man, there it is right there. Even AA itself, he was becoming dependent upon. Yeah, there, there it is. And see, and look at how honest he is about this. Yes, he you know, is. We're talking about the co-founder, right? Yeah. And I imagine when he walked into a meeting and people knew how he who he was, that he got a lot of, you know, adoration. Sure. And that people really appreciated him and were grateful for creating this program that was saving their lives. So, you know, Bill saying that I had to cut my dependency on AA shocks people because we often hear people say, well... You know, aren't we just taking one dependency, our dependency on alcohol, and replacing it with our dependency on the AA fellowship? Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, maybe in the beginning, but that's not the goal. Right. The goal of the program is to help you stand on your own two feet and not become more dependent, but for you to mature. Because people do become meeting dependent. That's right. They do, they, I mean, they do money. Yeah, they do. They, and they become dependent on, on things that, that the program wasn't meant for you to become dependent on. See, the program is meant to help you learn how to support yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you do it all by yourself. And a lot of times when I say this, people confuse it. They say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that our problem is that we were so self-reliant that we didn't let anybody help us? But when I say you learn how to support yourself, what that means is that when it's appropriate, you ask for help. Right. If you're struggling, you ask for help. When you don't know how to do something, you turn to some people that can help you figure it out. So self-support doesn't mean self-reliance. Yeah. Oh, that's it that means, you, you said that really well. Isn't that an important distinction? Yes. Self-support does not mean self-reliance. No, it doesn't. It's not that. It's different than that. 
it means that you support yourself to do the things that you need to do to take care of yourself. And like for me, at times, it's turning to my sponsor. Sometimes it's going back into therapy. Sometimes it's getting to a meeting every day if I'm going through a rough patch. You know, Mm -hmm. what we know is that those people that are successful in dealing with this disease are are managing their ongoing vulnerability to their addiction on a daily basis. Now, there's some days I don't need to do as much as other days. Some days I'm okay. You know, I'm riding on that wave. I hit it. I caught it in the right wave. Mm -hmm. Fine. Mm -hmm. There's other days when I'm a mess. And I need to talk to my, you know, sponsor, or I need to talk to a close friend of mine in the program, or I need to get to more meetings that week. Mm-hmm. So self-support means that I am able to give support myself to reach out and get the things I need to do to support my recovery. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and because you can't wake up in the morning assuming that, that you're going to be able to ride that wave from yesterday right into the next day. You just can't make that assumption. No, 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 you sure can't. No, yeah. each day is going to be a different day, as we all know, and you're going to take each day. It's one day at a time yeah. kind of deal. And I think that's one of the things I love about the program is helping me stay in the here and now. But so isn't that interesting that Bill is saying we've just got to cut away these faulty dependencies. We've got to cut them away on everything that we're dependent on. Now, somebody's going to ask, well, when he says we've got to exert every ounce of will to do that, what does he mean? Well, it means that you have to make a commitment to this process. Yeah. You know, what I say to people early on, you know, my first book that I wrote for Hazleton was 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery. And one of the things I talked about in there is that I've seen so many people come in the program thinking that half measures will somehow get them somewhere. And (laughs) what I know to be true is if you don't exert as much will or I should say it this way, if you don't exert as much energy and as, and as strong of a commitment to your recovery that you had when you were out there drinking or using, it's not going to work. So yeah. you've got to at least match that. And I don't know what kind of a, a drunk you were, Monty, but mm. I will go to any length. I mean, <laughs> nothing would stop me if I wanted to get drunk or if I wanted to get high. Nothing yeah. would stop yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be the same way in the program. Yeah. There's nothing I won't do today for my recovery. If I didn't have the money to get my alcohol, I would sure darn well find a way to get into that store and get out of that store without anybody seeing me. I remember we go to any length. I, I remember we walking out with with, with with full square cases of Henry Weinhardt. Just walk. I said, check this out, Fred. All you got to do is act like you own the place. Walk in, pick it up, walk out. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy stuff, man. But we need to go after our recovery with the same abandon. There you go. I like it that. I like it being said that way. Go go after your recovery with the same abandon that you had when you were out there. Yeah. Drinking and using. Right on. we got to take a, a, a short break. And when we come back, we have two more sound bites we're going to listen to for this week's show. So, folks, don't go away. More with Dr. Allen Berger, step-by-step towards emotional sobriety when we come back. Hey, check it out. The best in recovery talk and positive music radio is now available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and Podomatic. Simply visit any of these platforms and search for Take 12 Recovery Radio. Listen and download hundreds of our shows for fun and for free. Also available at Take12Radio.com. Well, welcome back to Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger and myself, the Monty Man. You've tuned in to Take12Radio.com on your internet dial, broadcasting to you from beautiful downtown Albany, Oregon at the KHLT Recovery Broadcasting Studios. Okay, we've got a uh, two more sound bites here. Uh, and we'll go ahead and play this one, and we'll come back and talk about it. Plainly, I could not avail myself to God's love until I was able to offer it back to Him by loving others as He would have me. And I couldn't possibly do that so long as I was victimized by false dependencies. For my dependencies meant demand, a demand for the possession and control of the people and the conditions surrounding me. While those words absolute dependence may look like a gimmick, They were the ones that helped to trigger my release into my present degree of stability and quietness of mind. 
qualities which I am now trying to consolidate by offering love to others, regardless of the return to me. <laughs> offering love to others, regardless of yeah. the outcome. Gee. Yeah, well, it's, this, 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 uh, this segment here is such a, a powerful segment, isn't it? And yeah. What Bill is sharing with us. Um, you know, when he said that his dependence meant um, possession and control for others, uh, I really want our listeners to just take a minute and think about that. You see, what we said last week when we talked about the false self, is when we felt like we had to become someone else to be loved, to belong, to be accepted, is what we decided is that we had to control circumstances and people in ourselves in order to be okay. Mm -hmm. So what builds insight here is that the dependence on others for those things have turned us into control freaks. Yeah. You see, what we believe is that we have to control how other people think about us, how they feel towards us, how they act towards us, for us to be okay. Because if they don't do what we want them to do, then we're going to feel uncomfortable. We're going to get anxious. You know, we're going to be uncomfortable in our own skin. So this becomes a very important thing for us to look at as part of our basic flaw. Another way of saying this is that we are all control freaks, and we all try to manipulate other people to be the way we want them to. Now, there's different ways of manipulating Monty. You know, it's not always the tyrant or the person that's trying to control others by judging them, mm -hmm. telling them how they should behave, you know, those kinds of things. People can, and what we call that, by the way, all those people that manipulate in that way are what we call top dogs, right? They try yeah. to have power over people. But there's people that, that submit to others that are as manipulative. Mm -hmm. If I try to please you into everything that, you, that I think you want me to do, then I'm trying to manipulate and control you to like me by pleasing you all the time. So what we call that is an underdog position. So the rescuer is manipulating other people. The people pleaser is manipulating other people. The person that, that acts like helpless, like they can't do anything. They manipulate other people to get involved with them because they act like they're helpless and they can't do it themselves. So what Bill is pointing out to us is something in psychology we started to understand early on, like in the 70s. In fact, a doctor, Everett Shostrom, wrote a great book called Man the Manipulator. It's out of print now, but you might be able to find a used copy somewhere. But it's brilliant because what he helped us see is that we're all manipulators. Now, that news is not as bad as it sounds because what he also said is that once you let your true self take over, once you really let your growth, first, growth force to actualize your true self, Every manipulative quality can turn into helping you actualize yourself. So mm -hmm. all the practice we've been getting in manipulation doesn't go to waste. We can also use that in our own best interest, in the best interest of ourselves. Because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, that, that word, some words that we use, we really give them a bad rap. Religion, yeah, like manipulation. Yeah, like like oh, wait, yeah, religion. Religion gets a bad rap. Yeah, please, please don't tell me I'm a manipulator. Or, or even control freak. I mean, I mean, right, same thing. Yeah, because um, you know, we we can use that for good things. We do it all the time uh, when we're planting uh, our landscape in our yard. We manipulate the soil so the well, flowers grow a certain way, and yep. you know, so it, it isn't necessarily a bad thing. But what what we do to it, it's just like I was saying, the, the word religion, that gets a bad rap, you know, but but we we've taken it and we've manipulated the heck out of that sucker, you know, to control other people and bend them to our will. Uh, I was noticing that Bill, um, Bill says in this in this last soundbite. He kind of changes his tune. He's kind of growing up in this thing. He, first, he's like, okay, I'm, it's better to comfort than to be comforted. So I'm going to comfort so I can be comforted. Now he's saying, I'm going to do that regardless if I get anything right. back. 
big That's difference. Right. There it is. You see, so he's already unhooked it. So when we do things because it's the right thing to do, yeah. because we want to do it, then we've unhooked ourselves from the outcome. And that becomes a very important piece of this emotional sobriety, because if we stay hooked to the outcome, we're going to try to, have, to control it and to manipulate the outcome to be the way we want it to be. Okay, Dr. Berger, I've got to ask you this, and this this is gonna this is a trip. What about the person who's learning this unhooks themselves, but is so unused to this that they end up hooking themselves back on because they're scared to death? Well, that's going to happen, I, and I yeah. appreciate you bringing that up. Look, as you make these changes, as you try to support yourself and stand on your own two feet. Now, we're not talking about self reliance. When I say stand on your own two feet, right. I mean self-support. Yeah. When you're trying that, it, you're going you're gonna to take a couple steps forward and then a couple steps backwards. That's okay. See, what I want people to do is to learn from their experience, Monty. Learning is about discovering new possibilities. And what we're helping people see is there's a new possibility for them in relationships mm. with themselves, with circumstances, and with others. They can be freer. They don't have to be as controlled by that part of them that wants everybody to like them. What did Bill call it? Top approval. Yeah. Perfect romance. To be with a woman where you're going to have the perfect relationship, which means never fight or have sex all the time or whatever it is. You gotta, as we grow up, we let go of all of these things that are nonsense. You know, what we're looking for is a more balanced position. God, sex is great. It's balanced in a relationship. It's not going to happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Every relationship is going to go through in terms of tough periods of time where there's more desire and less desire. Sure. And that's all natural. Yeah. But you see that part of us that wants things to be perfect. Yeah. You know, normal was never good enough. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> I, want it. I want it when I want it. I want it now and I want it. Yes. The instant gratification takes way too long. Yeah, that's right. Okay, here is soundbite number four. This seems to be the primary healing circuit, an outgoing love of God's creation and His people, by means of which we avail ourselves of His love for us. It is most clear that the real current can't flow until our paralyzing dependencies are broken, and broken at depth. Only then can we possibly have a glimmer of what adult love really is. Ah, that's a mouthful. Well, look at, you know, the, the last thing he says, adult love. Yeah. He's obviously saying that there's other kinds of love that aren't this adult love. So let's talk for a minute about that, what, what adult love is. Okay. And we're going we're gonna to use the uh, concept that Eric Fromm, a brilliant, brilliant um, writer and social uh, critic, and also psychoanalyst, wrote about in a book called The Art of Loving. He made a distinction between what he called mature love, and that's what Bill is calling adult love, and immature love. Now, what is immature love? Well, it's based on everything Bill's been talking about. It's based on dependency, on needing that other person. Immature love says, I love you because I need you. That's like a child, so what, like, like a kid. Like yeah, a kid says... That's right, like a child. Yeah, that, yeah. That's early, you know. I'm, I, I, you know, we've talked that. I've got a daughter, right, who's now right. about nine and a half weeks old. Well, she's completely dependent on us. She can do <laughs> yeah. some things herself. And that's fine. She's going through that stage. But when we're growing up and we become adults, we want to be able to have more of a mature relationship. That's what stage two recovery, which is what Ernie Larson uh, called it, is all about is having healthy relationships. <laughs> to do that, we have to be able to have this adult love that Bill talked about or this mature love that Eric Fromm talked about. Now, how did Eric Fromm define mature love? Well, he defined it as union with the preservation of integrity. I'll say that again so our listeners can really take this in. It's union with the preservation of integrity. So what it means is that we join someone in a relationship, but we keep a sense of ourselves, mind. We don't get lost. We keep our individuality. 
So when I'm able to join you and be close to you and keep a sense of who I am, I'm able to love you like an adult. I'm able to have mature love. But when my love is based on needing you, needing you to validate me, needing you to tell me I'm great, needing you to tell me I'm sexy, I'm pretty, whatever, right? Yeah. That's immature love. It's not adult love. It's a very, very adolescent-like love, and it's going to be fraught with all kinds of problems because inevitably your partner's not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to validate you, or one day they may not like you, or they may not like how you're behaving. Now, that's when trouble starts. Now, here's the other thing I want our listeners to get, money is I want them to understand that when they have trouble in their relationships, it doesn't mean that something's wrong. Ah, good point. Trouble means that something is right. Yeah. And what we mean by that is that where your trouble shows up is where you are still immature. And if it didn't show up, you wouldn't wouldn't know that to work on it. That's right. That's exactly the point. You see, you have an opportunity if you're willing to face that trouble and not learn from it. Now, what a lot of people do is say, God, I don't want a relationship that's going to be this much work. Well, good luck. That's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, really, really. You really don't want a relationship because that's what they think. Yeah. There's a certain amount of grinding that has to happen between you and your partner to be able to realize the incredible gift and value that a relationship has for us. You know, <laughs> my mentor, Dr. Kempler, used to say, our partners are angels sent from heaven. They are sent down here to cause as much trouble in our lives as we can tolerate <laughs> so we can grow up. <laughs> now, a lot of people say, are you sure they're not sent from, you know? Yeah, trouble? really. <laughs> no, right? I mean, he said, uh-huh, because God wants you to grow that's great. God, God, God wants you to be the best that you can be. Um, so that's where how he would deal with that stuff. And I love that perspective. That's really good. And, and that's what Bill is really saying, yeah. is that we've got to face these dependencies. We've got to be able to, to you know, remove our hexes at depth. So that's what he's saying, is that our dependency started so early in our life. It started the minute we believed that we had to be someone we weren't to be okay. That's where our problems really started. And that's, that's where our emotional dependency began. And when he says we have to unhook these hexes at depth, it means we've got to look at that. We've got to look at our life in terms of uh, uh, what we did that. Um, you know, it's interesting. You know, we do a first step a lot of times on our powerlessness over alcohol. Right. But do a first step on your image and who you think you have to be. Wow. Look at that. Take a look at what drives you. Make a list of all the things that you think you should be. I tell people to do that all the time. If you want to know your false self, then take a piece of paper and say, I should, and then write down the first thing that comes to mind. When you're done with that, you're going to get a sense of what your false self has told you that you should be in order to be okay. You know, one of one of the things that I think, and this is this is my this is the Monty Man's opinion, listeners. I know some of you are going to balk at this, but one of the things I think is can be. I understand the heart behind it, but can be a dangerous piece of advice uh, from well-meaning people in the rooms. If you have a problem with God, get out a piece of paper and on one side, write down all your old ideas about who God is. Draw a line and then write all the things you want God to be. And then without any kind of guidance or anybody working with somebody to do that, I'm sitting there and I'm I'm just going to out of my own experience. So I did that, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm writing all these things uh, that I thought, and most of them were blown out of proportion. They really weren't that bad. Um, but over on the right, I'm thinking, okay, I want there to be no consequences when I drink. Um, I don't want, I don't want God to be disappointed in me if I do this. I don't want this to happen. I mean, and I, what I did, Dr. Berger, is I created, I became the creator. I created this higher power and then I became God and then my problems start all over again. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, that's, that's, 
kind of stuff is dangerous if you're not getting some guidance. Yeah, you got to have some gui- guidance. Spiritual that. director. Bill had spiritual directors from many different people, people that he would go to that were not part of our fellowship, but that were spiritual you know, leaders out in the community, and he would turn to them for, for help. And we encourage you to turn to whoever. Yeah. But, you know, do this work with somebody, I think, is what Monty is saying. Absolutely. Don't try to process it yourself. You know, if you're in therapy, bring some of this stuff into your therapy sessions. If you're in a close relationship with your sponsor, bring this stuff to with your sponsor to talk about it. If you don't have a sponsor, get one. <laughs> right? Yeah, really. And, huh? and, and, and work with that person. But do this work with someone. Dr. Berger, why do so many people in in organizations, uh, fellowships like Alcoholics Anonymous, why are there so many of them that um, that really preach that every answer to life is right there in that meeting and you don't need to get any outside help at all? I mean, just keep coming to me. Why, why do we do that? Is that a control thing? Well, I think so. I think that that comes out of a lot of distrust money. Yeah. And listen, some of that is, is earned. I mean, a lot of us sure. earned to other professionals. You know, look, I mean, when I first got clean, I went to a psychiatrist, and what's the first thing he did? He gave me Valium, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That's not the best thing in the world. I mean, so many of us have been misguided, misdirected, been maltreated, you know, so there is some of that to trust is is really is we've come to legitimately. But what my sponsor, Tom, said, he always used to think that, you know, in my recovery, I've got to be more trusting. I've got to trust God more and stuff like that. And you know what he said to me? He says, I realized I was thinking about the wrong thing. He says, it wasn't a matter of being more trusting. He says, it was a matter of being more courageous. Huh. I had to have more courage. I had to go ahead and take risks because I needed to take them. And what happens with this emotional sobriety thing, you see, when we're emotionally dependent, we give other people way too much power. Boy, I sure, we sure do. Yeah. Way too much. And as you learn to support yourself, you're going to be able to trust yourself more. And here's the other thing I've learned, Marnie, after kind of walking this path for the last 42 years. The more I trust myself, the more whether I trust you or not is not that important. Mm. Because mm. I'm able to deal with you whether I can trust you or not. I don't trust someone that's not trustworthy anymore. Yeah. You know, I learn from my experiences. And, it, you know, most of the time I don't do that. I'm sure there's every now and again it happens. But what I'm saying is that there's a process that takes place where trust now gets centered in who we are and not hat out there, that we're not fused on and dependent on other people to take care right. of. Right. Uh, yeah, because there's going to come a time, and I think the, the big one talks about there's going to come a time when you're by yourself, man. You know, yeah. you, you can't get to a meeting. You can't get to your sponsor. Right. You, you, yep. can't, you can't call your neighbor. You yep. can't see your pastor or rabbi. It's... It, you are, it's just you and your creator, man. And you had better be at a place where, where you can uh, stay sober. You got what, it, you know, Chris Schroeder talks about. Well, what I would say is where you support yourself. Where, uh, yeah, he, can you so support when yourself? Bill went, when Bill went to Ohio and he was going to drink, what did he do? Instead of drinking, he supported himself. Yeah. He went out and looked for somebody to talk about. He took action. Yeah. That's right. He took action to support his recovery. And that's the key right there. <laughs> he didn't go up to the, to the hotel clerk and say, do you like me? <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. But look, I another mean... great show tonight. And yes. We've got, we've got one more week of unpacking Bill's letter. And next week he's going to reveal to us what he, the formula is to unhooking our emotional dependency. So um, please tune back in next week. It's going to be another great and exciting show. And once again, Monty, I love doing this with you. Uh, keep up the great work at Take 12 Radio. And those of you out there, please support them. He's, Monty's doing a great job, and uh-huh. he's sacrificed a lot to keep this this uh, this show, uh, the station on the air. So please send him your support, not only your love. 
Well, that wraps it up for part three of Unpacking Bill Wilson's Letter on Emotional Sobriety. Uh, by the way, to uh, parrot what Dr. Burr was saying, if you would like to support Take 12 Recovery Radio, particularly at this time when finances are crucial for everyone, uh, if you feel led to do so, there is a donate button at the bottom of our page. Simply visit us at take12radio.com. Scroll down to the bottom left. And there's an orange donate button there, and you can donate. No amount is too small. Uh, no one gets paid here. This is all volunteer. We've been all volunteering now for uh, we're into our 16th year, and we would appreciate it very much. But we do know how tight finances are right now with everyone. So please take care of your immediate needs and your family first and foremost. Listen, if you would like to download any of our shows, you can visit us at Take12RecoveryRadio.Podomatic.com. And uh, the easiest way to go there is go to our website, Take12Radio.com, and click on the Listen to Us on Podomatic link. Um, there you can join us on Podomatic, become a Podomatic member. It's free. Uh, you can download the app for uh, iOS or Android and take us with you on the go. You can also subscribe to any of our shows on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, of course, as well. All accessible by visiting us at our main website at Take12Radio.com. All right, looking forward to next week on Part 4 as we wrap up unpacking Bill Wilson's letter on emotional sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger. Until next time, this is the Monty Man. And from all of us here at Take 12 Recovery Radio, we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. She's a super cat, super cat, she's super kitty, meow. Yeah, kitty, 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 meow. <laughs>